I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your host, Joe Rowles. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am here with the Nathaniel Hackett edition. Uh, I am talking to Bobby Peters, who wrote the 2020 Green Bay Packers Complete Offensive Manual. First of all, uh, go get it. It's on Amazon. Uh, I bought it last year because, you know, for whatever reason, I thought maybe Pat Shermer was going to uh, run a little bit more of uh, the Packers offense for a certain quarterback that they were rumored to be interested in. Uh, Obviously, that didn't happen. But with uh, with Nathaniel Hackett kind of coming in and taking over, uh, I thought it was a good time to to look into things. Uh, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. Happy to talk. Happy to talk, happy to talk football. So one thing, but kind of before I really start to pepper you with stuff, but one thing I really love about your book, uh, and I have the San Francisco 49ers one as well, but one thing I really love about your books is you combine the formations with the why, and then you also like chart out the concepts. So for me, I can, I can see how Green Bay performed against different fronts, what they did on different downs, how well certain or how often certain plays were called. Uh, like, for example, I noticed that the Packers averaged seven yards a carry using inside zone week against overfronts. And that's that kind of specificity uh, for you guys listening. Like, that's awesome. Like, you, you really get an idea of what they're doing and why and then how it works. Yeah, I take so like the whole the whole idea was right. I wanted to make it a lot like a, an actual playbook, right? It's like a lot of NFL playbooks, college, high school you know, they're broken down by concept. And then, you know, you see all the different formations and variations and motions and all that fun stuff. So that's kind of the approach I wanted to take as well. 
Um, but with the film, like when you have the film of an entire season, you can, you can kind of put like the, that into context with it. So like you said, I use the stats to kind of show, Oh, like this certain concept is really effective against this front or this coverage. And, um, you know, use that to kind of drive a lot of the narrative, you know, for kind of the breakdown, you know, of why it works and why it doesn't work against certain defensive looks. And one of the other things I, from a general standpoint, because again, I read this last year, the first time, and even after the Broncos didn't trade for Aaron Rodgers, I still found that I, I learned a lot from it. And so just from that, like, for example, I never realized how often the overfront was used against 11 personnel until reading your book. So I appreciate that. Yeah, that's something too. like, I mean, I, you know, I love and study football, but until you, you know, do a full season study like that and immerse yourself into it, like stuff like that, you know, you see it and then you see the stats and you're like, huh, why is that? And then you kind of think about it like that, for mm -hmm. instance, right. An overfront. So a lot of even odd front teams will play an overfront or a four down front against 11 personnel, because if you play, so say you're an odd front team and you play a five down front um, it, to an 11 personnel look. So for a lot of people listening, the 11, 11 personnel means one running back and one tight end. So there's three wide receivers. So when you do that, you're really limited with the amount of coverages you can play because you can do, you know, you can still get to a lot of the seven man coverages, but you have to drop a defensive lineman and he might be not in the right position to get to a certain, you know, certain routes. Like say you're dropping one of the defensive ends to get to the flat. Um, you know, if he's to the wide side of the field, that's a, that's a tall order for him to do. So from a coverage standpoint, there's only so much you can, you can do and you become very predictable. So, so that specific example used is a great one because it's like, all right, well, that makes sense. Cause if defenses can get starting a four down front, if they want to bring the fifth guy up, they can do that and stunt the front and, and, and bring the fifth rusher, uh, from that standpoint, but it also gives them the flexibility to play any coverage they want to. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I kind of wanted to start there, uh, if you don't mind, just because, one of the things I've looked at back when Nathaniel Hackett was one of the finalists for the job is how much I thought the his offense would change from what the Broncos have already been doing. Um, and that's actually one area where I don't think it will be a huge change just because uh, under Pat Shermer, the Broncos were already using 11 personnel basically about 66% of the time. And then they used 12 as their, as their second most utilized personnel grouping. Uh, the last three years with the Packers, it's the, it's the same story with uh, Nathaniel Hackett. And obviously that's Matt LaFleur's offense as much, if not more than Hackett's. But I mean, they, they ran 11 and 12 personnel. I want to say almost 90% of the time this year. And in your, in your book, you mentioned too, that they, they based out of 11, 12 personnel and it was a zone running game with duo kind of as the like zone duo as the running game. Yeah, that's definitely a fair analysis. And, and I want to say, cause Broncos fans, some of them are already running with the idea that, you know, the Broncos are essentially going to run uh, like a Kyle Shanahan type system. And I know Matt LaFleur's offense has obviously evolved from the same tree, like Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur both came from that same tree, but they're, they're quite different. And one of the things that you mentioned in your book in the introduction that I think fans, it, I think it's worth mentioning is just the idea that one of the big differences between the Packers offense and the 49ers offense is that the, the Packers simplified everything and actually like streamlined everything as far as their personnel and their scheme. Do you think Nathaniel Hackett probably brings that same approach to the Broncos or are we just kind of not sure yet? Um, that's interesting. And I, I don't know what drove it in Green Bay. I think that return to simplicity might have been a little bit of a result of the COVID situation too, but I'm not quite sure. Mm. Um, but it's it's definitely um, it's definitely something that caught my eye too. I I, I think um, Seth Galina, who works with PFF, I think yep. he once called 
the Matt LaFleur Green Bay offense. Um, I think he once referred to it as like the perfect high school offense in like in, 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 in a complimentary way. He's not insulting them because in, in a sense, it, you know, a lot of high school, a lot of high school offenses have, you know, a couple base plays, a couple counters off of it, a couple play actions off of it, a few drop back passes, and they can get through a season and do really well with that. And a lot of times in the NFL, you see a lot of coaches, you know, they build these huge playbooks and stuff and don't even get to use 90% of it during a season. So, um, you know, from the Packers perspective, they, they had a lot of answers to what they were seeing, but they used them on a week to week basis. They weren't shuffling a lot of different concepts in and out. And, um, you know, that approach served them really well at times. And, and it definitely bit that, you know, it, it giveth and it taketh, right? So it, it definitely bit them in the butt at times too. But I, in general, obviously, it was very successful for them. And, and I want, I'm glad you mentioned both Seth Galina and the drawback there because uh, I want to say right after the 49ers beat the Packers this last weekend, uh, after a day or so, and I think obviously he probably went back over the game, uh, Seth is a friend of the pod, but he mentioned that uh, – it almost was like they, they were missing like one or two concepts because of that streamlined approach. And it kind of made it probably easier for the 49ers to really sit on top of everything in terms of the passing game. Yes. I, I saw that tweet and I definitely agreed with it too. I think that made total sense. Kind of, I, I haven't gone through and watched the all 22, but I definitely felt that last year, especially, you know, when writing that book, the, the bucks playoff game, the loss they had in the NFC title game, they, they relied on mesh so heavily during the season. And as I'm writing the book, I'm like, man, every week they're killing teams with mesh. I'm like third and five, third and four teams are playing this true man coverage against them. And I'm like, man, why do teams keep doing this? And like Rodgers keeps, you know, whether it's a call or a check he gets into against man, like you'd think that, te- you know, especially when they're in like the in specific and, you know, condensed formations, whether it be trips or empty looks, but um, I, I kept seeing this. I'm like, I'm waiting for an NFL defensive coordinator to, to figure this one out. And then Todd Bowles finally did in the NFC title game. And, um, I can't remember what quarter it was, but I believe they were trying to hit Aaron Jones on a shallow route, one of the shallows in the mesh concept. And um, the, the safety, they were playing like a version of like Nick Saban's cover seven. So like a safety came down. They had a t- So it starts in a too high look and it's basically, I don't want to call it man, but it's like a type of man. It's like a type man of man match. match coverage. Yeah, yeah, man match coverage underneath. I, I don't know uh, how football you want to get with this. Um, oh, but, we can get as football yeah. as you want. Uh, okay. If, if we if we have to describe it a little bit to listeners, it's totally cool, but I don't, I don't mind. Sure. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, cover seven, you know, it's a man match coverage. And, you know, based on certain, you know, I don't know what call they use, but based on the call, the safety drove down on that shallow route and popped Jones. Um, and I'm pretty sure that was a, a key fumble in the game. I'm pretty sure Jones had it, caught it, fumbled it. And, um, you know, right as he caught it. And that was a very big play in the game. And I saw that when I was breaking down, like, all right, finally this caught up then. So that's just a specific example from last year of exactly what Seth was talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm glad you mentioned mesh just because, and again, in the book, you go over this at length. So guys get the book. But one of the things I like about how you describe the Packers mesh, and I, I'm still kind of in the process of going back over all of it now. But the idea that the the way the Packers used it, it, it worked as an all-purpose concept, which is probably why they used it too much. But I like the idea that it, if the Broncos, let's assume they don't trade for Aaron Rodgers for a second, just because, you know, who knows? Having kind of go-to answers like Mesh should make the quarterback's job easier. I know Pat Shermer ran it, but there were times where it almost seemed like Pat Shermer with the Broncos there was too many instances where he was putting it on the quarterback and the receiver to create separation on their own and not kind of going over, going over the top to make it easier for them. If that makes sense. Um, and, and I thought that that was really, really apparent when Jerry Judy was out just because as good as Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick are, 
they're not separators in the same way. And concepts like mesh or middle read, like those kind of things will make it easier for a receiver to get open and easier for a quarterback to find somebody. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. And and myself as an ex-quarterback, I like concepts, not so much mesh. I'm, I, I'm not a huge mesh fan, but in general, the concepts that Hackett ran with the Packers, um, especially in the drop back game, you know, the five and seven step game, there's a lot of uh, like pure progression concepts that are all purpose against any coverage. And you know, as an ex-quarterback, I love those types of concepts because like I can go through my progression and find somebody like mm-hmm. I could make my, I could make the offense right. Um, you know, whether that be just taking a check down sometimes, and that's what Rodgers ended up doing the last couple of years. And that made him really efficient as well. Uh, more efficient than he was in the couple of years before LaFleur got there. Cause um, you know, he, he bought into the system, he bought into the reads and that's, that's a, a very important thing that I took away from studying Hackett and the Packers last year was um, the, 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 just the multiplicity of those types of concepts within their offense. That makes sense. And one of the things that's interesting to me about that with, and again, the, the running game is almost the same way, but kind of different in just that because the Packers use so much inside zone, outside zone, and then duo, they don't have as many concepts, but inside zone, outside zone, duo, if you know how to use it and when to call it, you essentially have an answer to whatever they're doing on defense. That's that's also a fair point. And the Packers did for basically an entire season. Um, this year, like I said, I haven't looked at the all 20. I've been working on a 49ers book, so I haven't done a ton of Packers study this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do intend to go back and, and, and break down all their games as well at some point this offseason again. Um, but they did appear to use a lot some more power and counter this year, okay. which made sense for based on how defenses were playing them. But yeah, I mean, they almost made it through an entire season last year with just, you know, those as their bread and butter concepts. And like exactly what you said, formationing them and motioning them. Um, you can accomplish a lot of different things against a lot of different defenses um, by doing those two things if you're smart and how you do it. And also protecting it with the different keepers, the different play actions off of it. You know, you can really build yourself a nice uh, answer and complimentary plays to what you're seeing. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. One thing with the running game, and I, it, this is a small point, but a lot of fans have been complaining about the fact that Pat Schirmer would constantly use Jerry Judy as a jet motion kind of threat but the Broncos never gave him the ball. Uh, uh, my episode, actually, I recorded an episode last night, and then obviously Hackett was hired. But I mentioned it to my my managing editor that one of the big differences with the Packers offense, they're still going to run that. We're still going to see it, but they're actually going to use that threat enough to make defenses respect it. Yeah, I think um, one – and I definitely t- touch on this in my book because I thought this yeah. was one of the cooler game plan elements um, uh, that, that Hackett and the Packers used was – especially against Minnesota. Um, so like we talked about an overfront earlier, one of the common ways a lot of NFL defenses will, will use their, uh, their strong defensive end in an overfront is either – you have a couple options, but the two, main, the two main ones are either play them head up in a, what I call a six technique on the tight end or play them outside in a wide nine. So when you, ha- when you get that defense with that six technique head up on the tight end, what, the, what LeFleur, Hackett, and the Packers like to do was run jet sweeps to that side to the tight end and have the tight end arc release that defensive end and leave him unblocked. So basically what you're allowing yourself as an offense is to gain a plus one at the point of attack, right? Cause now you're leaving the play side defensive end unblocked. 
Um, but now you're able to pick up, even if the defense is in single high, you're able to pick up, uh, you know, whoever the support player is coming over or coming down to, to defend the jet sweep action. And that was a very effective play for them against Minnesota for that reason. So that's, that's one, one application of the jet sweep that, that makes sense on a game plan basis. Definitely. Uh, and so, and again, I want to be conscious of your time. I know you're trying to head home. Uh, oh, we got time. We got okay, time. Cool. So one of the other parts to me, this, this looks like one of the bigger adjustments for, from a personnel standpoint is the Broncos under Mike Munchak have been adding a lot of players for gap concepts. So you mentioning that the Packers have kind of used more power and gap this year is a little bit encouraging just because to me, based on what I've watched, Dalton Reisner is at his best as a lead pull, uh, lead blocker. Uh, Quinn Miners is better creating vertical displacement than he is working horizontally. Although I would say he's a good run blocker period. Um, but the bigger concern for me is Javante Williams. The Broncos traded up for him last year and I scouted him a lot. I, I went back over North Carolina's offense twice. And the thing that just jumps out on the tape and then it showed up on the, in his rookie season is vision, just decision-making. And that showed up a lot more in outside zone than probably any other concept just because he, he kind of gets like single focused. So his peripheral vision doesn't always pick up what's happening on the defense. And it led to some early cuts wide, stuff like that, where he just wasn't where he should be. Uh, so the fact that they they adjusted, uh, I went back and looked at what Hackett did with the uh, with the Jaguars as well, uh, just in terms of like charting. And they, they moved to more inside zone after they drafted Leonard Fournette. And then that combined with the fact that they used duo as much as they did with the Packers does give me hope that Javante Williams is going to be fine. Do you think that's optimistic? Uh, certainly. I think, you know, obviously Hackett, you know, he's a good coach. He comes from a good background. He obviously had success, um, you know, especially with Green Bay. Um, I think, you know, good, good coaches anywhere they go will take their personnel and kind of adapt, right? Like, I think Hackett, he obviously, even though they didn't do a ton of it in Green Bay, um, he has a strong understanding of, of the gap schemes and, and all the different stuff that are available to him. So I think, you know, just I think it's a fair assumption. He'll probably, I mean, he'll take a look at it and he'll probably make some determinations. All right, this is what we... And it's going to be a feeling out process too. You're not going to know right away what you're going to be good at, what you want yeah. to do. Um, and the, the Packers are a great example. They, you know, 2019, I broke down their 2019 season as well. I didn't do a book on it. I just broke down the film, but they, you know, their running game looked a lot different in 19 than did 20. So I think, um, you know, from that standpoint, it's, it's a feeling out process. You have an idea what your base is going to be, but um, you, you know, you kind of, you kind of grow from there. That makes sense. Uh, for Broncos fans who are a little bit concerned about the fact that Nathaniel Hackett wasn't the primary play caller, do you think that's a legitimate concern? Do you think it's not? Do you think it's it'll be fine? Or what? What are your thoughts on it? So he does have play calling experience, right? Like yes. he was the OC in Jacksonville for a yep. while. So I think having the experience um, is huge. Um, you know, as myself, you know, I, this is my second year now as a varsity offensive coordinator at the high school level. So you know, I, I'm speaking from like, uh, you know, obviously it's not the NFL, right? But it's it's somewhat it of a it's personal. Experience. Yeah, it's somewhat of a personal, you know, tie to it. Um, you know, obviously the experience is huge and um, any way you can get it is big. Whether or not he was the actual play caller for a successful situation, I think you can learn a ton. I think, you know, a couple of years, um, you know, a few years ago, I was not the OC, but I was a position coach and, a you know, a pass game coordinator. But I learned a ton, especially when we were, you know, having success in, in stretch for stretches during the season as well. Um, and a lot of that drove what I, you know, I took a lot of those principles with me, to, you know, to be a, play, you know, be a play caller. So I think, it's good to have experience. It's good to be an assistant on successful teams as well. Um, obviously, you'd love to have a successful coordinator come in um, and do the job right away, but that's that's hard to find. Those guys are obviously rare, and you know, usually when they get somewhere, they don't leave. So, um, especially the co the head coaches. But um, I, I 
I don't, I wouldn't think of that as a huge concern. Good to know. And then two more questions. Again, I know I'm keeping you. Uh, but so the other thing that you mentioned in your book, and I, and it's right in the introduction. So again, guys, go get the book and read it. Uh, but you mentioned in your introduction that one of the things that really kind of is you noticed about the Packers offense is in their drop back passing game. They really do emphasize isolating Devonte Adams and making him the first read as much as possible in Aaron Rodgers' progressions. And, and obviously for fans who don't really think about this, it's kind of like, well, no does that, you know, Devonte Adams, but, but a lot of offenses in the NFL don't do that. Uh, so like when you look at it, the last over the last three years, Devonte Adams has been targeted 445 times in the regular season which is more than triple what any of the Broncos leading receivers have received over the last three years. And so I kind of feel like that emphasis on progressions with your number one receiver, it should be really good for Colton Sutton, Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy, especially after last year where there were games that it almost seemed like they kind of got frozen out of the offense. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, and how he carries that over to Denver is going to be, is going to be uh, a critical part in their success. Um, like like you said, you figuring out ways to to get your guys the ball, making them early you know early reads on in the progression. It's you know a lot of a lot. One of the, my least favorite coaching buzz phrases is players not plays because I think it gets overused because I think you still need plays because a lot of times teams with good players don't win. Um, but I mean, obviously you need both, right? But that's a, that's a side argument. But anyways, the. Um, so in that case, right, like that's players over plays. Like a lot of a lot of coaches will draw up these great concepts, and it's like, all right, well, if if Devonte Adams is my X receiver, usually the X receivers, you know, he could be the backside on a lot of concepts, right? If you're getting a three man, like a three man flood to the field, he'll be the backside dig usually. So um, instead of doing that, the Packers, what they did a lot of times, would, they would move him around a ton within the formation structure. So they'd have him run like the like that concept I was talking about, like a three level flood. They'd have him run like the intermediate route. Um, you know, on the flood side that can basically be the primary, just stuff like that, like adjusting where he was in the formation um, to make him the primary on basically any concept they wanted to run was a huge part of their success and getting him the ball as often as possible. Cause if he was in a one-on-one matchup, he's, you know, he's pretty much going to win that every time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And that was the other thing I noticed too, is how much in your book, you, you really highlight this, how much they were moving Adams around because in the slot fade situation, they moved him to number two because he's such a good route runner. Even if it's a hard route to win, he's going to be able to do it. Yeah. That's a great example. The slot fade, like, you know, you've got, you know, I think it was like the middle read with slot fade concept comes up, uh, you know, comes to my brain first. So if you've got single higher man, Adams should be in a one-on-one there, especially if you've got man. So you're going to Adams. He he can win on that route and they have enough concepts around that, you know, that, that prevents defenses from keying in on that route in that situation too. Um, if you get too high now, what the Packers had a couple of times last year is they burned defenses with MVS running the middle read route. So like in too high, the safeties are splitting. You get MVS running right down the middle of the field on a middle linebacker. And that's, you know, he's one of the fastest players on the Packers receiving core. So you know, that's a great matchup for the Packers. So using personnel within the, the concept structure and having the right guys running each route is, is a huge part of, you know, offensive success in general, really. So, so I lied. I have two questions. Uh, so I apologize. Uh, no, you're fine. But so, so I, assuming, and again, I, I, I'm trying to temper my expectation. Denver is going crazy with the idea that now that Nathaniel Hackett's the head coach and Rogers is certainly on the way, like that kind of thing. Obviously we don't know yet. Um, but I, I'm just knowing what you know about the Packers offense. If the Broncos do not land Aaron Rodgers, they're still going to be in the, in a hunt for a quarterback. 
what traits do you think are like you would you highlight as really really important to success in this scheme um this scheme uh specifically i think in okay so in general yeah. the two my my two main um quarterback attributes that i think are the most important are accuracy and timing um i think those things are hard to teach they're hard to teach um the best quarterbacks even even the, the super mobile, you know, super freaks like, you know, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, they have those two things, but they also have, you know, the cherries on top with the athleticism and all that other stuff too. But to be successful in general, long-term in the NFL, you need to have accuracy and timing. And I think regardless of what the other skill sets are for the quarterback in their system, that's those two things are, are pretty hard to get. It's pretty hard to win without those two. Um, now, specifically their system, I think their offense is, is relatively you know, obviously they, they have a lot of the keepers. So, you know, it's good to have an athletic quarterback doing that too, but you know, I wouldn't call Matt Ryan a very athletic quarterback and he had a ton of success with Kyle Shanahan running keepers, um, you know, in 2015 and 2016 as well. So, you know, from an athleticism standpoint, I, whatever, whatever he has, he can work with. Um, mm -hmm. I would think I, you know, now if he gets like a Lamar Jackson type, like you, obviously that's, that takes it to another level. I don't know what, what that would look like, but, um, but yeah, I think from that standpoint, you know, obviously the ability to process. And then the nice thing too about the, the system is um, a lot of times, a lot of NFL offense will have different audibles or checks they can do, but at the core, what Matt LaFleur wanted to do, and they gave Rodgers a ton more freedom, you know, because he's Aaron Rodgers and he probably should have the freedom anyways. Um, but what they, what those guys like to do is they'll call a play in the huddle and then they'll have a can, what they call a can to another play. And that second play is either going to be an op, a call that you're going to check to against like a certain look that you want to take a shot or that's like what we call an optimal look, mm -hmm. right? So like a look that would make a ton of sense for that play, or it'll be a play that gets the quarterback out of a bad play. So like, you know, if you've got like inside zone called against, uh, you know, like a five, one of those five down odd fronts, you, you know, you were expecting to get a four down front, you got to play that gets you out of that. Cause that's the tough look. Cause you know, you're working against, you know, a lot of single blocks. Um, so that th those types of things are, you know, the, they're not terribly complex audibles. You're right. The quarterback might have to look for one or two things, you know, like, okay, is the safety down to the call side? All right. I'm going to flip it to the other, I'm going to flip the run the other way type of thing. So um, from the mental standpoint, obviously he has to understand football and, and, you know, one thing the Packers did, even with Aaron Rodgers, was in 19, you know, those types of checks weren't um, super, you know, complicated, right? Like, over time, they grow in complex complexity. That's It's not it's not something, you know, day one, they're doing all these crazy, you know, checks or, or play calls or anything. It's something that they grew into. That makes sense. Uh, and again, I'm not to put you on the spot, but I'm going to kind of put you on the spot. Do you think Nathaniel Hackett was a good hire for the Broncos? I think, um, I definitely think it can be. Yeah. I think they, I think you yeah, obviously not being in the interviews, it's tough, you know, obviously yeah. not knowing Nathaniel. Yeah. I don't know him personally. So that's, that's tough. But I think, you know, just based on his experiences and, and just the interviews I've seen him do, I mean, he seems like, he seems like a guy that, that could be successful. He has you know, obviously a strong understanding of offensive football. He's learned from some of the best, you know, in, in Aaron Rodgers and obviously Matt LaFleur. Um, they've had success in green Bay. They've done it different ways. They've, they've kind of gone against the grain and, and kind of simplified things when they needed to and had success doing it. So um, I, I think it could potentially be a good hire. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. And again, guys, if you do not already follow Bobby on Twitter, go do it. He is at B underscore Peters 12 and go buy his book, the 2020 uh, Green Bay Packers offensive manual. It is on Amazon. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me.